Hello and welcome to another edition of the Duct Tape Marketing Podcast. This is your host, John Jantz, and my guest today is Phil Auerswald. He is an associate professor of public policy at George Mason University, a senior fellow at uh, my hometown, uh, Kaufman Foundation, um, and is also the co-founder and co-editor of Innovations, uh, a journal about uh, entrepreneurs and, and global challenges. And we're going to talk today about uh, a really intriguing book that he has written about the coming prosperity and how entrepreneurs are transforming the global economy. So, Phil, thanks for joining me. Hey, great to be on. So I want to grab uh, kind of – I always like to set the sort of foundation here um, and, and typically grab parts of subtitles to do that. So you talk about uh, this thing, a transformation, and you talk about it as creating large-scale opportunities in countries like the United States – but also is having dramatic impact on really the rest of the world, particularly some of the sort of emerging world still. So you, you want to talk about what this transformation is and how it's going to do that? Yeah, well, I mean, the, 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 the backdrop for the book is, uh, the, you know, the set of stories that we're used to hearing. Right. Um, so, you know, we can talk about financial crisis. Uh, we can talk about uh, scarcity, uh, resource scarcity issues, uh, uh, climate change. And here in uh, the U.S., you know, piled on top of that uh, political gridlock and, you know, a sense of kind of powerlessness, uh, you know, in the face of all of these calamities, large and small, um, and, you know, and, and there's obviously reality in all of that. Um, you know, there's, there's no doubt that the last few, few years, uh, you know, have been, uh, difficult ones in, in the United States and, and certainly the housing meltdown, uh, you know, is, has been a real, uh, phenomenon that, that's hit a lot of people. Um, so, so that's the backdrop. Um, you know, the reason I wrote the book is because, um, you know, I think that there's a bigger story about our historical time period, about basically, you know, our, 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 our era. And, and that story isn't really getting out. I mean, the closest that we get is, you know, sort of Fareed Zakaria and Tom Friedman, uh, you know, will talk about the rise of the rest. And, and so you've got, uh, you know, China, of course, is always a big story and, and, uh, and India and Brazil and, 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 you know, this, this particular version of the story that I'm telling is also one of kind of menace and threat that, that, that previously poor countries are now becoming wealthy. They're kind of flexing their muscles. And that means that the role of the United States and Europe and Japan is, is, is diminished. So that gets a little bit closer, I think, to kind of understanding, uh, our historical time period. What I wanted to talk about in this book is, is, is that same sort of story about the global economy and the majority of the world's population who are now able to participate in a process of technological change and innovation that's been going back for four centuries and tell it from the standpoint of opportunity. Um, and, you know, the, the, the premise here is pretty simple. I mean, when you have most people in the world uh, finally able to create, communicate, collaborate with everybody else, particularly in the rich six of the world that has benefited from, uh, from, as I said, the last four centuries of technological change and innovation. When most people in the world become part of this sort of global human collaborative body, um, good things should and, and, and will happen. Um, and, and, you know, we're seeing that already. And, and, and so that's, that's basically how it then becomes a book about entrepreneurship. Um, you know, 
the same sense of powerlessness that, that I talked about, uh, that I just mentioned and alluded to, um, you know, with regard to sort of political processes, again, misses the point. I mean, I think part of the issue with political processes is that they're increasingly peripheral to the amazing changes that are happening around the world. And those changes are being driven uh, by individual initiative, by collaborative teams, uh, by, by new technologies and, and transformations that we're seeing sort of all around us, but I think inadequately appreciating. So, so that's why the book's called The Coming Prosperity. Well, and, and I think to take it to its most basic, basic level so people can appreciate what you're talking about, I, I think you could look no farther than going on, say, like an Elance or something and, and, and look at the people that are, in some cases, you know, working in you know, a, a, a very cramped one-bedroom place in a, on top of a hotel in Delhi that are cr- cranking out uh, <coughs> programming code. Right. That, that, oh, that, totally. You know. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know, I'll tell you a brief, brief anecdote. Um, actually, something that happened after I wrote the book, but um, I was on Twitter at a meeting one time. Somebody, a, a woman named Mona Abu Salaiman, who's a graduate of George Mason University based in Saudi Arabia, um, she tweeted a story out about a. Uh, a, a young man, a 14-year-old Pakistani, who is the youngest person to have published in an IEEE journal. IEEE journal is the elite journal in electrical electrical engineering. Uh, so, you know, obviously this is a very uh, prestigious uh, place to have your work published. So I retweeted this, and a few other people retweeted it. It's, you know, a nice story. And then I noticed that one of the people who retweeted it was was this same young man, Babar Iqbal. And so I thought, well, that's, that's neat. So he says, you know, thanks for uh, retweeting my story. I say, hey, no problem. You know, it's really fantastic accomplishment. And then, you know, this went back and forth. And after a little while, he said, you know, um, uh, I really like your journal because um, he'd now been Googling me. And, and I said, well, thanks a lot. And then, you know, a couple more like that. And then he said, but, you know, I'm not really – I think your uh, user interface is kind of weak. And so I said, well, you know, we're actually working on uh, kind of upgrading our journal into the 21st century, and, you know, maybe this is something you'd like to be part of. So he's now, you know, part of this loose team that we've got, you know, multi-city, uh, you know, team that's working on kind of upgrading Innovations Journal. And, uh, you know, how, how likely would that have been, uh, you know, even 10 years ago, much less 20 or 30, that, that, that first of all, uh, Bob Ekbal would have had the opportunity to, uh, you know, show his talents, publish in an IEEE journal, and that furthermore, within the space of minutes from halfway across the world, he's in Dubai now, that I would be able to, you know, recruit him to participate in, in, in a project that I'm working on. I mean, this is a completely different sort of reality, and these types of interactions are happening on a minute-by-minute basis. Can you imagine, going back in history, to, you know, all the names we studied in, in grade school about these great in, innovators and inventors and thought leaders who, you know, most of whom had died um, you know, long before anybody really knew about their discoveries in some cases. And can you imagine if they'd had that kind of network at, to collaborate with now? I'm, you know, you think in the Einsteins and the Edisons of the world? Well, you've totally, you've totally hit it. I mean, this to me is exactly the basis for excitement um, about, about the future. It's really about the productive uh, possibilities of people. And, um, you know, when we think about the totality of creative capability uh, through human history, 
Well, you know, those are the, the those are the people who who had who had the benefit of prosperity past. And so when I talk about prosperity, you know, I'm not talking about everybody owns two, three cars and so forth and so on. I'm talking about basic cognitive freedom. That's the world that we're entering into, where where the majority of the world's population is at last having this experience of being able to spend some time to create, to envision, to invent. I mean, this has always been part of the human experience. But but everybody who we think is the great inventors, the great creators of the past comes out of a tiny slice of even all people who have lived in the past. Um, so, so between the extension of human life, lifespans and um, this, 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 this tremendous new, uh, new capability, new population of creators that's, that's now able to, to do exactly the things we've just been talking about, I mean, this is just unprecedented. And so, so we're, we, we, have, we have all of those folks who had Einstein-like potential but died without ever going going to school, much less being able to connect with somebody over Twitter, I mean, those folks are now going to be able to realize their potential. And, and they are partners, collaborators, customers. They are part of our future, and it's a great thing. What role, and this might take us down a path we don't want to go necessarily, but what, what role do, should government play in either enabling this or getting out of the way of it? Or, or you know, what's, what's your thought on that? Because I, I, I could see... You know, a lot of times what slows innovation down is sort of the existing structure. Well, you know, that's that's a big theme in the book. Um and and, and this is something that um that that I'm you know, certainly not the first person to articulate. You have the same insight. I mean, going back as an economist, really the the the, the person in economics who 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 told that story of of basically how incumbent interests are an obstacle to innovation was a gentleman named Joseph Schumpeter, who was an uh, economist of Austrian origin, uh, ended up at Harvard in the 1930s, um, wrote a book uh, called The Theory of Economic Development, which remains the best book about. Uh, the role of entrepreneurs in the process of development, and that book was written 100 years ago. Um, and, and in that and in later work, um, what Schumpeter really talked about was how incumbent interests come around, come about very naturally in the process of, of, the, of the functioning of a capitalist economy. I mean, when you have competition, particularly when you have economies of scale, so when companies benefit from being bigger um, and can produce products at, at a lower cost, potentially a higher quality by virtue of size, then at a certain point you have this kind of capture of industries by the big dominant corporates. And um, so, so Schumpeter was worried about this back in the 1920s. And you know, it turned out that we've had certainly a lot of economic dynamism between the 1920s and today. Um, and so, so to that extent, it appears you know, maybe his, his worst fears didn't come true. But you know, whether we talk about it, I'm just going to focus on the United States, but this is even more true in other parts of the world. Uh, but our energy infrastructure, our healthcare infrastructure, our educational infrastructure, and our financial services infrastructure, these are all built around companies that are very well organized to defend their interests. So the first that thing that, that individual citizens can do, and government, those enlightened people in government, wherever they may be, can also do when they have the latitude to do it, is act to favor incumbents less. Incumbents will always be at the table to advocate for their piece, their, their continuing significant piece of whatever pie uh, society bakes. And, and, and it is absolutely imperative that, that government act to, to favor incumbents less. And that doesn't necessarily mean, that's not 
necessarily the same thing as stay out of the way. Um, you know, staying out of the way can be uh, really a way to, to, to favor incumbents more. Um, and and so, so it's a nuanced sort of point, but basically when, when government policies work to, to reinforce the interests of incumbent institutions and organizations and companies, uh, then, then you don't have the kind of entrepreneurial entry and innovation that's potentially uh, that, that's, that's possible. Well, that's interesting, too, because it, it sort of runs counter to the reality. I mean, a lot of times it's just the rich get richer because, you know, they, they get more entrenched. Uh, yeah, well, you know, but the thing that works against that is technology, yep. um, and and this is this is why it's it's not that the technology is the uh, you know the panacea and solves every problem. The, the, the actually the greatest thing that technology and entrepreneurship does is um, to create a space for the future. I mean, entrepreneurs, determined entrepreneurs, uh, you know, who have uh, new technologies to work with. I mean, these are the people we all know through history, people who just will not be denied their chance. And you know, that's why this is a book about entrepreneurship and prosperity entrepreneurship is is fabulous it because it creates jobs because entrepreneurs bring new technologies into market but it's even more fabulous because entrepreneurs are the people more than anybody else in society who are able to challenge incumbent interests create new market spaces and create opportunities for people who've been excluded um, as well as for those who already have opportunities I mean it's it's the whole package right we, we know what entrepreneurship is about um, so that's 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 to me you know a central part of the story I'm trying to tell in this book is the complete story of what entrepreneurs do to advance society. I was um, I got the opportunity to speak this weekend at the uh, American Library Association's uh, annual conference out in uh, uh -huh. in Anaheim, and one of the things that I was talking to this group about was you know one of their one of their charges, of course, from a marketing standpoint, is to, to reach those that that don't have access to some of the lower socioeconomic. Uh, areas that that can get books, but also give them you know they they get they get technology, they get access to to digital things uh, that the library now has, and and one of the challenges that they find is is in reaching those folks. And uh, one of the things I push them towards pretty hard is is you reach those folks through the mobile device. And I think that people are starting to realize that it does it almost doesn't matter what circumstance you are in life <laughs> people are people are acquiring the mobile devices and and the smartphones which obviously basically makes them you know a communication tool and access tool uh, as well and I, and I was really thrilled to see you talking about uh, the the idea that that the mobile the impact of the mobile device may be even bigger than what we've experienced in in the internet in general Oh yeah, I mean it's already much bigger. Um, the reach of mobile phones is well beyond uh, the internet uh, globally, um, and uh, you know, and in a shorter time period, obviously, uh, the internet um, sort of came into being before mobile devices. So, uh, you know, the, the, when something's right in front of our faces, um, you know, it's easy to take it for granted. Um, you know, in in the U.S., I mean, in the just just. 15 years ago, um, you know, only one in a hundred people in the United States used a mobile phone. Now it's so embedded in our lives, uh, you know, that we sort of can't uh, imagine functioning without it. But, but in the U.S., we already have a lot of, you know, goods and services, infrastructure of different types. Uh, so, so, so there's a tremendous convenience around mobile phones, but there's a sense of, you know, also a kind of a triviality time sink. You know, people complain about, uh, you know, all the different ways in which mobile phones intrude. That's much less true in in other parts of the world where, where, where mobile phones essentially 
are the highway of the future. Um, they are a virtual highway. And if you think just by analogy to, I mean, I talk about actually, you know, the transcontinental, ra- transcontinental railroad as kind of the metaphor, but whether you want to call it railroads or highways, you know, either way, um, whenever <clears throat> there is a new infrastructure like that, and what it creates is not just an opportunity for, for people to use that infrastructure for transportation, or in the case of mobile phones, for communication, it's all the services you build on the side of the road, right? I mean, this is, you know, whether you see Rango or, you know, any other movie about, uh, you know, about the opportunity, the market opportunities that the railways created, it was about owning the land on either side of the road. And that land is this, this virtual territory on either side of, of the, this, this, this global telecommunications infrastructure we're building is, is the provision of, of, of health services, provision of financial services. I mean, a place like Pakistan, only about 15% of the people have any sort of access to the financial system, have a bank account, any kind of connection to the financial system. So, um, you know, this is a country of 180 million people where 85% of those people are unbanked. Um, that's a big market opportunity, and, and it's going to be a market opportunity where, where you know, success is going to be improving the lives of millions of people, um, and that's just one example. There's similar, similar equally exciting opportunities in, in the delivery of health services, uh, you know, sort of diagnostics, even actual care uh, through, through mobile devices. So, so the fact that we have uh, this, this, this mobile technology that's the fastest growing, most widely diffused technology in human history uh, you know, only the transistor radio in previous uh, experience competes really in terms of its, 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 its reach to the village level. And before that, I mean, you know, a colleague of mine has said, I think he's right, you know, it's pretty much fire is the, the last example, you know, that, 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 that has that kind of power. So, so you know, I, I personally think just if we look at the technologies already in use, the potentials are, are incredible. And that's not even, you know, taking into account, obviously, things that will be coming down the pike. So let's um let's let's end this on a little bit of a sort of an advice piece if you want to give some. Um, so I'm talking to Phil Oswald. The coming prosperity is what we're talking about. How entrepreneurs are transforming the global economy. So just from an advice standpoint, if 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 I'm an entrepreneur or would be entrepreneur, um, you know what what are what some advice for how I might start plugging into this, tapping this. Uh, you know, looking for opportunities. Well, you know, I I I, um, I wanted to end w- with some specific words of guidance without uh, you know pretending to lay out some sort of recipe or plan uh, that I don't believe exists in the kind of complex world that we live in. But but you know, I think at the end of the day, people do want to know. Okay, well, so how do I turn this into action? And and you know, the best I could come up with was you know, sort of a four-step process. I mean, in the first step, you know, folks listening to this podcast are already doing, I'm sure, you know, to connect. I mean, you need to be part of something, um, you, and you need to connect using all the tools at our disposal. Uh, you know, so that's 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 not just uh, mobile. That's not just using your phone. Obviously, it's social networking. All this. You know, these are powerful tools. Uh, certainly, they can be used trivially, uh, but 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 the the, the the tools of connection we have are really powerful tools. Um, and 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 the next is 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 to create. And so once you've connected, you know, you got to bring something to the table. Um, and, and creating helps you kind of define yourself 
uh, in a community. Um, and, you know, so we think about an open source community, uh, you know, Linux, the old story, right? And the first part is just to kind of sign up, to write some code. And, and then the next is just to bring something. And so, so that's the third step is contribute. I mean, once you've created something, then you really try to contribute. And I think open source is a great metaphor, even for a for-profit company, you know, that, that, that you want to then, once you've kind of situated yourself, you know, find something tangible that you can, that you can bring and that you can contribute that, 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 uh, that, that can sort of define you professionally. And, and the end point is collaboration. I mean, you know, entrepreneurship is a collaborative process. It's a team-building process. And, and contributing to a sort of more or less, you know, anonymous open source community is very different from finding somebody else in that community who you want to start a company with. I mean, that's a big commitment. And collaboration is a big commitment. Um, it doesn't have to be a kind of a lifelong company building process. It could be more like the movie industry, you know, more like a posse. You know, you kind of get together around a certain project, drive it hard, and then uh, move on to the next one. But, but I think that this, you know, this process uh, of connect, create, contribute, collaborate, and then you iterate that. I mean, this is the work life for everybody. It's not just, uh, you know, entrepreneurs or folks who are self-employed. Um, if you work in a big company and you're not have this mindset that you are a free agent, you are always building relationships, you are always looking for the next opportunities to do these four things, uh, then when, whenever your contract comes to an end with whatever, uh, you know, comfortable company you happen to be in, um, you're not going to have that habit that enables you to be a successful 24 first century uh, contributor. Uh, so, so, you know, I think, I think that, that, that it's, but it starts with connection and it starts with connection across whatever boundaries are going to be most valuable to you. So professional boundaries, geographical boundaries, uh, and then moving on from there. Yeah. And I, I, I have four 20 something uh, um, daughters and I, I really see that mindset sort of um, pervasive in that age group. I mean, I don't think they have any delusion that they're going to go to work for some company forever, that, that it's really all about kind of this, uh, you know, Dan Pink's sort of free agent, um, you know, idea. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, and I had a, a friend of mine in Arlington, Massachusetts, who wrote a book 20 years ago called We Are All Self-Employed. And, you know, I mean, I think it's uh, it's a theme that has just taken a long time to develop. Um, and now we're all there. Like, yeah. everybody's there. Yeah. And anybody who's not gotten that memo is just in serious trouble. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. Phil, thanks so much for joining me. I know you're... you're, you're... Well, you've got the summer off, right? You're not teaching it and teaching it. Well, I am. No, I'm right? teaching an online, uh, open oh, okay. online course on entrepreneurship and globalization based on my course. Uh, we've got uh, 800 students signed up oh, wow. uh, from awesome. over 50 countries. So, oh, that's awesome. It's really been really exciting. Yeah, where, where, Ashoka where, U Online. Where can people find more uh, uh, about the book, about your work, maybe even about that course? Well, the, uh, the, the, about the book, thecomingprosperity.com will take you to my website, also ourswald.org, uh, just my last name, uh, .org. And, uh, and then about the, uh, about the course, um, you know, all of the uh, interviews we've had, uh, you know, and readings and so forth and so on are at uh, www.ashokau.org uh, forward slash online. Awesome. Well, thanks, Phil, yeah. so much. And uh, if you if you make it back to Kansas City and visit any of the fine folks there, uh, uh, hopefully we can connect in person. Absolutely. Thanks a lot for having me on. It's been a lot of fun. Bye. This episode is brought to you by the Yap Media Podcast Network. I'm Hala Taha, CEO of the award-winning digital media empire, Yap Media, and host of Yap Young and Profiting Podcast, a number one entrepreneurship and self-improvement podcast where you can listen, learn, and profit. 
On Young and Profiting Podcast, I interview the brightest minds in the world and I turn their wisdom into actionable advice that you can use in your daily life. Each week, we dive into a new topic like the art of side hustles, how to level up your influence and persuasion, and goal setting. I interview A-list guests on Young and Profiting. I've got the best guests, like the world's number one negotiation expert, Chris Voss, Shark, Damon John, serial entrepreneurs, Alex and Layla Hermosi, and even movie stars like Matthew McConaughey. There's absolutely no fluff on my podcast, and that's on purpose. Every episode is jam-packed with advice that's gonna push your life forward. I do my research, I get straight to the point, and I take things really seriously, which is why I'm known as the podcast princess and how I became one of the top podcasters in the world in less than five years. Young and Profiting Podcast is for all ages. Don't let the name fool you. It's an advanced show. As long as you wanna learn and level up, you will be forever young. So join Podcast Royalty and subscribe to Young and Profiting Podcast or Yap, like it's often called by my Yap fam, on Apple, Spotify, CastBox, or wherever you listen to your podcasts.